Star Tours announces the arrival of the Endor Express. Once we've had a chance to service the Star Speeder, we'll begin our boarding procedures. Thank you. My name is C3PO. Wrapping about space, the new place to go. You can eat all you want and you won't gain a pound because there isn't any weight here like back on the ground. We travel very fast near the speed of light. You can leave in the morning and get home last night. A vacation in space is out of this world. Join us now for a flight to the future on George Lucas's Star Tours. everywhere welcome to episode number 115 of blast points this is jason this is gabe and that's right this week we're going to be talking about the thing that's kind of started the whole lucasfilm disney connection star tours the one and only star tours yeah we're going to go back to the original star tours talk about the updated star tours and how that's the missing link between uh Lucasfilm and Disney. But first, let's go over some news. There's some George Lucas news to talk about. It began with Mr. Lucas. George Lucas, writer and director of Star Wars. What happened to Darth Vader's grandchildren? It's it's kind of been nice that we've gotten two weeks in a row of like raw Lucas in the wild footage between the Mark Hamill uh, star and now... What, breaking ground with the museum in L.A.? He's out of the house. He's he's wild in the streets. He's going. We haven't had this much, this much action since uh, people were asking him for autographs. <laughs> what are you signing autographs for, uh, for dealers? When Lucas goes outside, news happens. So he was in Los Angeles for the big ceremony to kick off construction for the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Lucas and uh, Melody Hobson were there, the groundbreaking ceremony. When Lucas brought uh, a friend with him, a hard hat, right? That he had to wear? (laughs) If you were wondering what George Lucas looked like in a hard hat. Now we know. How did that get over his hair? Like the first one they gave him just popped off his head. They had to like go in a in a, a special toolbox somewhere where they had like an extra large helmet. Boink! Just flew and flying off. <laughs> Broke a window. He he got all dressed up. He's wearing. It looks like he's wearing new white shoes. He's wearing blue jeans, like a blue plaid shirt, and he you know he's fancy because he's wearing like a like a blazer. 
over the plaid shirt. A special occasion. <laughs> he put his fan his fancy coat on. There's photos of him uh, with a shovel. Kick it all off, and it's a it's kind of a scary and rare, but also heartwarming thing where he's like really smiling, really big. He's got to be happy. This has been a long process to get this museum, right? I mean, how many years has it been now? At least three years, right? If not more. There's Chicago and San Francisco, and now finally Los Angeles said yes, and it's his it's it's his big dream. It's finally going to happen. I can't wait. I think it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, I think I'm always going to be sad that it's not in Chicago and I can't go every weekend and just just eat lunch there. But maybe it's for the best that it's in L.A. and I would have to make a special trip. My family might miss me. <laughs> you know, like we said, we're still open to be an interactive exhibit at the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. We can be like in a glass box. You can just give us tacos every once in a while, and people can come and talk to us. <laughs> just throw chips in the box, and we'll eat them. Press a little button. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Maybe it's for the best that it's in L.A., though, because the weather's a lot better there. So if we do end up homeless just living on the street in front of the museum, the weather's way more forgiving in L.A. than uh, even San Francisco and especially Chicago. So look on the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five-story building. With exhibits from Lucas's personal collection of paintings. Uh, there's going to be some film stuff, of course. There's going to be theaters, lecture halls, classrooms, a public research library. There's going to be restaurants and places to eat where hopefully the menu will consist of gumballs and Hershey bars and Coca-Cola. Maybe you can get like some root leaf stew or... Uh... They'll, they'll have floating peaches hanging from strings on the ceiling that you can eat. Lucas always stressing that um, that's not just going to be Star Wars, people. It's going to be Norman Rockwell. <laughs> and comic books. Give me some Scrooge McDuck. That's my favorite. <laughs> the, the Scrooge McDuck wing of the museum. I was driving around thinking about the gift shop. And hopefully, I was like, oh, please. Hopefully, this is, we've been talking about it for like almost three years Hopefully at the gift shop, you can get a George Lucas Museum of Narrative Art flannel shirt. They would make so much money. And if they changed them out every year, so you'd have to come back. It's like, honey, you told me I needed some more dress clothes. I just got to go to L.A. and get my new Lucas shirt. For Christmas, they could do like a, a red-green plaid shirt. The Lucas Through the Years collection. Just a different color every year. Maybe they would sell white tennis shoes there. Lucas Museum of Narrative Art logo on the sole with the, just a nice white tennis shoe. A, a Lucas wig and fake beard. If you want to go through the museum, get the full Lucas experience. Right. If you want to do the guided like audio tour instead of just headphones, it's actually a full Lucas head of hair and beard you have to wear and the and the flannel shirt and the jeans. I, I hope that the, the like the guided audio experience is lucas talking it's my scrooge mcduck it's just just a drawing of scrooge mcduck that's all it is i have 10 of them (laughs) between that and star wars land it's like where do you go you got to do them both i guess can one body handle that in one trip i don't know if i don't know if we're strong enough i'm jealous of all of our uh west coast listeners i'm sure it's going to be a huge line and hopefully there's an overnight line 
to get into it with people sleeping on concrete. That's the only way to get tickets. <laughs> it's just what you do for anything. You got to line up a year ahead of time. Hopefully Kiss plays the opening for no reason at all, except it makes sense somehow. George Lucas gave art to you too. That'll play. <laughs> Everybody calls it a Star Wars museum, but it's it, it's not a Star Wars museum because people aren't going to come to a Star Wars museum. They can go to Madame Tussauds for that. I think more people will come in for Rockwell than will come in for Star Wars. Norman Rockwell can tell a whole story in one picture. So a couple weeks ago, Jason Fry's Last Jedi novelization came out. And it's been the talk of the town. There's a lot of juicy, juicy bits, some chunky bits in that novel. I guess it opens up with the whole thing with uh, Luke dreaming of his life that could have been if he would have stayed on Tatooine. But it was brought to our attention, possibly the most important franchise shaking. Everything you know about Star Wars has suddenly changed moment in the novel. When Finn and Rose get to Cantobite and they encounter Master Codebreaker, the novel describes Master Codebreaker as he oozed confidence like a hut in heat. Sounds about right. Get a little insights into the what's going on inside Master Codebreaker, not just the outside. There's a lot to analyze here. The the word ooze. <laughs> that Master Codebreaker is oozing confidence. <laughs> like a hut in heat, which is a disturbing thing to think about. A hut in heat. Yeah, oozing anything. And comparing that to Master Codebreaker. I, I'm speechless. Have you thought about how much of a crime it is that there's no Master Codebreaker Black Series figure yet? At least once a day when I, when my eyes open in the morning and before they close at night. We've got this last Jedi novelization with the best sentence ever. He oozed confidence like a hut in heat. Yeah, I think the book was definitely on the on the short list to get around to reading at some point, And I think it's moved up. It's moved up the list now that we know that Codebreaker is well represented. Hello, I am C-3PO, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Welcome to the Star Tours Tomorrowland Spaceport. Now, in a kingdom very, very near. Art, do hurry. The passengers are boarding. Prepare yourselves. Welcome aboard. For the ultimate Disneyland thrill attraction from the imagination of Disney and George Lucas. Because now, the adventure is real. Star Tours at Disneyland. In all the universe, there is no greater thrill. Now open at Disneyland. Attention, please. Star Tours Flight 1119, non-stop service to Endor, is now ready for boarding at gate number one. All passengers, please proceed to the boarding area immediately. Endor, 
Star Tours is now offering convenient daily departures to the exotic moon of Endor. Come spend an afternoon or the entire day with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. It's a fun-filled visit that you and your family will remember forever. Just ask for the Endor Express, available only from Star Tours. Non-stop flights leave every few minutes, so don't delay. Visit Endor today. We're currently three, almost four movies in to this Disney Lucasfilm era. It's not really talked about too much or not really thought about too much. The first steps into that era was Star Tours, which Gabe, you rode for the first time just about a year ago at Celebration Orlando. What was your impression of it? Because I, I mean, I wrote it when I was like... 12, 11, 12 years old or something in Disneyland. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Star Tours. But it was it was brand new for you. What, what, what did you think going into it now? I knew it had existed, but for whatever reason, I just I think the last time I had been to Disney was I was in fourth grade, maybe. But, oh, man, it was like one of those things where once I did it the first time, I was like, why? Why haven't been doing this my whole life? It was like the best thing. Because I don't know, I just never dawned on me too, like with the with the upgrade in what was that 2011, right? Like how much prequel stuff there was too. Like it was just like watching deleted scenes from the prequels, but I got to watch them in 3D inside of a pod. It's prequel crazy. Yeah, because even like the original trilogy stuff is kind of filtered through the prequel a little bit. So uh, I I can't say enough good things about it. I'm scared now that it's going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> or they're going to change it again or something. Cause yeah, it was like he- heaven is for real. It's star tours. <laughs> I, I saw the light. So the whole star tours project really kind of got started where Disneyland was going to do an expansion called discovery Bay, like around 1974. And they were thinking about some sort of motion simulator that would have gone along with 20,000 leagues under the sea. But the technology was just not there in 74. So flash forward to like 83, 84, and Disney is kind of in a slump. And a lot of the Imagineers were starting to wonder what they could do for new ideas to kind of bring people back into the parks. And they were looking at, do we do something based on the black hole? Do we do something for Tron? And they were kind of close to doing some sort of version of the old 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea idea, but taking that but do like it with Black Hole. But even though we love the Black Hole, the Black Hole was just not, it wasn't like a big, big hit back then, which is shocking to think of, but it's true. Um, So when the Imagineers started looking outside of Disney, like, well, who can we go to? That isn't a Disney property because Disney wasn't just making they weren't making the hits back then. So the the head of Disney at the time was this guy, Ron Miller, who was the son-in-law of Walt Disney. And he said, let's meet with Lucas because Miller and Lucas knew each other because of their mutual love of wine. Miller owned um, these vineyards. They fly George Lucas to these vineyards and supposedly they sit around. They have chicken sandwiches with uh, Ron Miller, the head of Imagineering, Tony Baxter, 
and this guy Tom Fitzgerald, who was working with Imagineering at that time. So they sat around drinking wine, and they pitched the idea to Lucas, hey, do you want to bring Star Wars to the Disney parks? Turns out, Lucas, huge fan of Disneyland, and wait, wait, wasn't there a story that he was at the opening day of Disneyland? Yeah, according to the the most recent Lucas biography, basically his father, George Sr., took the whole family to Disneyland for the opening day and was it 1955? Yeah, July of 55. So, yeah, he was there opening day and they, they stayed the whole week and I guess it was like a family tradition. They would go back to Disneyland all the time. So ever since he was a little kid, like Lucas was a, he's a Disney guy. For a long time, I've been interested in trying to get involved with the, the Disneyland theme park. And um, for years, I you know, discussed it with uh, the management at Disney. And um, eventually it came about that um, they accepted my offer to be involved and that um, we would sort of combine ideas. I wanted to have a, an involvement in Tomorrowland. I thought that was a portion of the park that had always been a little less than what it could have been. And um, so they've given me the opportunity to include my characters into that part of the park and try to uh, come up with some new ideas, which is real exciting. It's something It's a little offbeat from what I normally do, but it's uh, a real exciting creative challenge. So I guess during this during this chicken sandwich and wine conversation, Lucas said that he wanted to open up his own theme park, but couldn't afford it. What would that have been like? George Lucas Super Live Super Live Adventure. That's what it would have been. Norman Rockwell paintings everywhere. <laughs> Tucker, a man in his dream, dark ride, Radioland Murders restaurant. It'd be like a dinner theater murder mystery with Willow. Oh, Willow roller coaster. With Mad Mardigan. Sign me up. You are great. So six months pass and nothing happens. Meanwhile, Ron Miller is out at Disney and in comes Michael Eisner. Now, Eisner has a history with Lucas because he was the head of Paramount when they did Raiders of the Lost Ark at Paramount. So when Eisner comes in, he's like, I want to do things right away. What have we got going on? What can we do to get people back in the Disney parks right away? Tony Baxter is just like, well, you know, months back, we had a meeting with George Lucas about the idea of bringing Star Wars to the Disney parks. And Baxter, in the meantime, has come up with this whole crazy idea of a Star Wars roller coaster, which would start on Dagobah. And have an effect where the the floor would drop out from underneath the vehicle and would be levitated by the force before it like takes off. And the guests the guests would choose the ending of this roller coaster somehow. I don't understand how this would work by either blowing up the Death Star, doing the whole trench run, or going into the Death Star core like in Return of the Jedi. Man, can you imagine doing that as a roller coaster? It would have to be the. It would be like the world's longest roller coaster, but that would be pretty intense. Like a roller coaster through the inside of the Death Star. Everyone would just be walking off of it, throwing up, not because <laughs> like of motion sickness, of just the intensity of it all. Oh yeah, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> That's like what was going through my head during Rock and Roller Coaster. 
It's that's like, like the Star Wars version of Rock and Roller Coaster during Galactic Nights is just one step away from that. <laughs> so I guess Tony Baxter pitched this to Michael Eisner in September of 84, which keep in mind is not all that long after. It's about a year after Return of the Jedi, give or take. And in the room was Michael Eisner's 14-year-old son. And I guess Eisner was just like, well, 14-year-old son, what do you think? And he loved it. So they were like, let's go with it. And Eisner said, we're going to call it Star Ride. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> so so they, I guess they take all this to George Lucas. Like, hey, remember that idea for the... The Star Wars at Disneyland, we're going to do it, and it's going to be called Star Ride. Lucas is just like, let's not call it Star Ride. Let's call it Star Tours. That's funnier because it's like a tour in Star Wars. Then Lucas suggests the whole idea of simulators. And when he says that, they're like, well, we were almost going to do that with the black hole and 20,000 leagues under the sea, but it's super crazy expensive and the technology isn't there. Well, those are not things that George Lucas likes to hear. <laughs> That's my kind of game. The game is afoot. He puts on a Sherlock Holmes hat and a Sherlock Holmes pipe. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. He talked about how Lucas talked about how he when he was a kid going to Disneyland, he always liked seeing like the backstage stuff. So he comes up with the whole idea of the crazy pilot at the time who was Rex. No relation to Captain Rex. But he was Captain Rex. <laughs> didn't quite know where they were going the original idea was that captain rex also the robot was going to be a clone wars veteran hmm yeah a clone wars vet named captain rex well obviously uh the first thing that we wanted to do with george was bring about this marriage of disneyland with the marriage of his product and star tours evolved from uh the first presentation that we gave to George of a possible ride, and it was a little bit more complicated. You could go every which way and choose your direction. And George said, well, that's great, but what can we do immediately? What can we do to get something going right now? And so we looked around and we found this fantastic device that was in work in the uh, Air Force and in the government to simulate uh, excursions into space, and we thought it was a natural. Here we have the space of fantasy that George had created and combined it with real-world technology that was ready to go, and this will be the first time the general public has actually gotten to experience something like this, so we're real excited about it. And while, while they're kind of hashing through like this whole idea of the motion simulator and stuff, Baxter and Lucas just kind of throw out like, well, if we did it on film and we just project this film, it would be great if we could change it out every couple of years so that when people come to see it or when people go on their family vacations to Disneyland, oh, and by the way, Star Tours has changed. So you definitely want to check that out again, which is a concept, of course, you know, we'll revisit later. One of the basic ideas behind this is that it's reprogrammable. It relies a lot on software rather than hardware, so that the ride can be changed rather swiftly uh, relatively to, relative to the way normal rail rides, hardware rides are you know, changed. And I think this will give us a big advantage in being able to upgrade the ride uh, after you know, a certain period of time uh, to... Uh, you know, improve it or change it or, you know, make it into something else. So in 1985, building of Star Tours finally starts. And meanwhile, out of Star Tours has grown this relationship with George Lucas and Disney. And in 86, 
the great Captain EO opens up, which is a story for another episode. Lucas brings in Dennis Muren, who starts heading up the, the film, which that original Star Tours, that whole four and a half, four minute or so film is like an ILM dream because it's nonstop special effects. Yeah, wasn't it? I mean, I definitely at the time and even maybe past that, like the longest continuous effect ILM ever did, right? Because there's some trickery in the cuts, but like it's pretty much a continuous four minute ILM visual effect. And it was the first Star Wars thing that ILM worked on since Return of the Jedi. And it's it's amazing, too, because like the ending of the original Star Tours is basically ILM recreating the 77 trench run but in you know 1985 they do it perfectly yeah they even have the uh doesn't it, because it has like more curve to the death star too doesn't it mm-hmm. like that was re-watching that like it's it seems so much rounder than the original which is cool i guess i was sort of the uh effects supervisor co-director of the of the work here we were really working underneath george and with input of course from the disney imagineers tony baxter and tom fitzgerald on it. And it was sort of figuring out how we were going to make this uh, the film that was pro- is projected for the Star Tours ride. And essentially what the ride is supposed to be is you are uh, you're with 40 other people sitting in a, a sort of a little spaceship that's flying off to Endor, the planet Endor, and you're looking out a front window. And so what you're seeing out the front window is all a movie film, but it's not supposed to look like it. And because it's three and a half, about a three and a half or four minute space trip, we have to we shot we had to shoot a film that was three and a half or four minutes long without any cuts in it, which was a very difficult thing uh, for us to do, and it was a lot of figuring out how we could come up with three and a half or four minutes of film without a cut. They shoot the whole thing seventy millimeter. Meanwhile, Disney buys four gigantic military flight simulators. That in 1984 or 5 or whatever when they're building, back then they cost $500,000 each of them. It's a serious ride. (laughs) That's a star ride if I ever heard one. So young Sherlock Holmes had come out and they were first starting to dabble in digital effects but there are no digital effects in the original star tours it's i think like dennis murin said in a quote somewhere that they were doing it the old-fashioned way even though they had just started digital yeah it's really a shame at this point that there isn't an official release of that footage oh i know it's kind of boggles the mind that there isn't that isn't a special feature on in the blu-ray set or even a you know an HD video on StarWars.com or even the Disney site. It's somewhere you know in the archives they have a high quality, hopefully capture of that original ride. That would be amazing to watch because I mean you can watch it on YouTube, but you know it's it's all like videotaped from someone riding the ride. Sometimes even like thirty years ago. Yeah, it's it's odd since it's not like. Like I can see, you know, the current rides, they don't want that out because then you don't have to go there and see it. But they're not, you know, they're not running the original one anymore. So, yeah, I get wrapped up in it. It, it brings back all first the excitement of being in Disneyland just ups you. And so you're ready for something. 
And then when you go in there, you're sort of uh, you're sort of like up also because it's something that you quite haven't seen at Disneyland before. And then when you get into the Star Wars type of stuff, it brings back all the memories from those films. So it really puts you in these other in a lot of different worlds in a in a short time. And it you know it really all works. We're real happy with it. So all this time while ILM's off working, uh, Disney Imagineering is making the props and. They're making, um, you know, the C-3PO that when you come in, which that, I remember even being a little kid and that blowing my mind, the fact that it's a real C-3PO robot. In fact, I even remember kind of saying that to my dad and him not even getting it, being like, it's a real C-3PO. Like that British guy is not inside that thing. Yeah, it's for real this time. I would love it if Anthony Daniels... Like, if he ever was just feeling really lonely, just put on the C-3PO suit and just stood there at Star Tours, and no one would know the difference. That would be pretty crazy. And every once in a while, he'd take his his mask off, and people still wouldn't know who he was. (laughs) (laughs) It's me! Mommy, why is that robot's face off? (laughs) Somebody in the audience, we love you, Kenny Baker! (laughs) He storms off, well, I never... Everybody loves Anthony Daniels. Well, the footage that uh, Anthony Daniels did for me uh, was an extreme help. Uh, first of all, this is a, a character that um, everyone knows, and everyone already knows what he looks like, how he acts, how he moves. So it's very important that uh, I capture that same believability. And the best way to do it was uh, get the help from Anthony Daniels. And uh, with his help in um, my animation, we uh, brought C-3PO to life again. Well, C-3PO is actually probably the longest-running animated figure we've ever done, or is, um, compared to a pirate, which is about 90 feet of animation, or a Mr. Lincoln, which is 400 feet. Uh, C-3PO is actually 900 feet of animation, uh, with 22 moves and all inside of him. Eventually, we get to January 9th, 1987. Star Tours finally opens. There's a big show, a big ceremony with performances by Disney performers dressed up as Luke, Leia, and Han. Lucas is there. So Disneyland stays open from 10 a.m. on the 9th to January 11th at 10 p.m. Nonstop, never closes, just to handle the amount of people that want to ride Star Tours. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, incredible adventures took place. Today is the beginning of a new tomorrow here at Disneyland, where the adventures will live on. Let the celebration begin. Which you gotta think, this is 1987. This is like the darkest times of the dark times for Star Wars. There's nothing going on. I don't even know. Was droids still on in 87 or Ewoks? Yeah. So the only thing going on was the droids cartoon and the Ewoks cartoon. And they had, I think, finished. They weren't on the air by 87. It wasn't much happening. There weren't even the Bendham's figures yet. <laughs> We weren't even to that point. Oh, at least we got the Bendhams. <laughs> you don't know how many times in the darkest times I'd be at Toys R Us. Well, maybe I got to buy something, Star Wars. And there's a Bendham's Admiral Akbar right there. I do love Admiral Akbar. Yeah. It was kind of a good sign that people were still kind of crazy and hungry for some Star Wars. And 
all during that time, from 87 all the way through the early 90s, even before the Timothy Zahn books came out, for normal people just going to the Disney parks, oh, hey, Star Wars, I remember those movies, let's go on the Star Wars ride. Well, and the fact that even if you couldn't even remember what Star Wars was, a motion simulator flying through space thing was pretty exciting on its own. There weren't a lot of those around either, even if you had no idea what the license was. So it was exciting from all all angles. You got to think, too, there were probably like some kids who had never even seen a Star Wars movie, but went on this thing called Star Tours and walked out of it being like, I've got to see that. There's three of them. I know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> I need more of this stuff. Which, yeah, I think that's like I was saying, that's right around when I went because I. I mean, I, I think I went in like 88. I know I, I'm putting it around that time because the only picture I have of me as a kid at Disneyland, I'm wearing a Batman shirt. So it had to have been like 88 or 89 because I had Batman fever. But I just re- I remember walking in to Star Tours and immediately you look up and there's like the little control thing up on the top. And I saw two like Mon Calamari dudes in there. And I was just like, oh, so that's how it's going to be. Mom and dad weren't kidding. <laughs> just turn around to my parents. You guys can just leave me here. I'll stay here for the rest of my life. It dreamed of taking off into space, traveling at light speed, and chasing intergalactic bad guys. Then Star Tours, the newest Tomorrowland attraction at Disneyland in California, is for you. Some say it's the ultimate thrill experience, and others... Well, they're a bit more descriptive. I loved it. It was the most exciting thing I have ever been on. It was really like being there. It was just the best. It was so good. I thought that it was the best attraction in Disneyland. Why? Because it's so fast and it looks like you're really moving. My mom said she knows what it's like because she always rides with my dad. So Star Tours is running there for a long time, doing great. Then in 1998, Lucas contacts them because they're working on the pod race in Phantom Menace. And Lucas starts to think, oh, this would be great for Star Tours. And they have a meeting with Tony Baxter again, where now the whole idea is, well, we're going to redo Star Tours and it's going to be just the pod race. And this is the first time that the whole concept of uh, doing it in 3D comes up. And Lucas is talking to them about like doing it and um, doing it digital, but nothing happens. A lot of ideas, sketches are made, storyboards of like Sebulba throwing stuff through the glass come up. Throwing a screwdriver at the screen. So then finally, after all the prequels are done, Lucas is at Celebration 3 in Indianapolis, which... I guess now looking back is the place where all the news came out and somebody asked him about, are you ever going to update star tours? Hello. Now that um, star Wars films are done. Um, uh, what's the future of star Wars and Disney in the parks? There's only one person who can answer that. Well, I'm actually not the one. It's Howard Rothman that can answer that. Uh, we they're hoping to, to revamp uh, star tours. Uh, 
I must say that they've come up with some really amazing ideas, but we've, as you know, Disney's had a few changes in management and whatnot, uh, which actually may move the whole thing forward a little faster because these plans have been on the boards for know, about five or six years now. I think they started saying they were going to revamp it when we did episode one. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. So by this point, they had already started doing storyboards with uh, the Imagineers. And I guess, so I guess Tony Baxter shows up with George Lucas and they're like, we gave him like a full storyboard presentation. And Lucas is like, I don't do storyboards anymore. I only want to see animatics. So they come back with a full animatic version of what this new version of Star Tours is going to be like. And I think at that point, didn't they, they had picked kind of the, some of the, the planets and they actually, I think they already had the idea of doing the branching paths too, right? Where there were two or three different possible startings and then the first planet you go to and then the end planet and it would kind of mix them up. I think, right. They had pitched that idea first. Yeah. And they had a list of signature chases and some of them did not end up in the star tours that we know and love that's going on today. I say what was interesting, too, is that I think the initial pitches was like it was all prequel stuff, too, except for Hoth. Well, there, there was the trench run. There was Hoth. There was the asteroids from Empire or Attack of the Clones. There was the speeder bike chase from Jedi. There was the Death Star interior, interior tunnel run from Jedi. Then you had the pod race. You had something just called Gungan Adventure. Where that should be a whole park. I, I'm happy. I'm excited to go see Avatar land someday, but that could really just be Gungan Adventure, and I would be even more excited. if I When I finally go to Pandora at Animal Kingdom, be like, where's all the Jar Jars? Why are these Gungans blue? Coruscant Speeder Chase from Attack of the Clones. Get this, Geonosis Clone Wars Battle. Mm. Coruscant Space Battle from Episode 3. Utapau Lizard Chase from Episode 3, and the Kashyyyk Clone Wars Battle from Episode 3. It's a hot list. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so the original idea that they presented to Lucas was that, like, oh, this time the viewers will have the Death Star plans. Lucas is just like, nope, why don't you have somebody be, like, a rebel spy? So the whole idea of the rebel spy comes from George Lucas. Which I'm proud to say. Do you remember in Orlando, just once I was the rebel spy? Yes. I almost didn't believe it when it happened. <laughs> How do I take a picture of myself in a picture? And originally they had a different pilot. There was this like big beefy droid named Ace, where eventually Ace got ditched and C-3PO was in. And they were going so far along with Ace, they recorded dialogue and everything with Patrick Warburton. I believe. So he was the voice of Ace. And yet they go all in with the constantly changing 54 different combinations of star tours. They get Michael Guacamole to do the score, which is his first time doing Star Wars music, which, you know, then again at Celebration Orlando, we discovered when we wrote it seven times uh, during Galactic Nights, that even within those different combinations, there are differences in the ride, like what you're seeing on the screen. That's like a constantly changing special edition. Yeah, I wish I, I should have started a Star Tours diary 
while we were there and wrote them all down. But like, I think what, when you're on Kashik, sometimes a Wookiee jumps out and gets, hits the screen and sometimes he doesn't. And there's extra Gungans in the Naboo one. And at the end of the Naboo one, sometimes your window breaks. Yeah. And sometimes a pit droid threw paint over your windshield. Mm hmm. Which I'd never noticed that before. Like I, before in like 2013, I was in Orlando and we ate at the sci-fi dine-in restaurant. And during that time, like it rained. And when we got out of the sci-fi dine-in restaurant, it looked like Hollywood studios had closed. There was like nobody there. So I was like, well, I'm going to go on star tours. And there was no line. And it was me and two senior citizens in they're the only people in star tours and i just kept getting off of it and going back on and i think i did it five times in a row just non-stop because it's only like a five minute ride so i just spent like 20 minutes just non-stop getting on and off star tours but i don't feel like i even noticed it the way i noticed it at galactic nights that the constantly changing special edition rides Maybe the only reason we noticed that time at Celebration was because you had did it five times the previous time and your body had acclimated to it. So you were able to notice and point it out to me. When you rode it seven times last year, of all the planets visited, what was your favorite? Geonosis was awesome. The Naboo one was awesome. The pod race was awesome. The Coruscant one was awesome. I don't know. They were all so good. I'm a big fan of Hoth. And the pod race. The Death Star 2 one is good. Was there? Yeah. I guess we got to just have to go again. <laughs> I got to refresh my memory on which was the best. Bumpy flight. And who knows where we'll land? The freezing cold of Hoth, the sandstorms of Tatooine. Or get blasted to bits by the Empire. What? Are you scared? No. Really? Because you look scared. <laughs> With more than 50 different adventures, you never know where you'll go. Star Tours new in 3D, part of the Soundsational Summer at the Disneyland Resort. When this new version of Star Tours 2 opened up, what was that, 2000 and... Yeah, it was in May 2011. That opening date is a very important date in Star Wars history for another reason, too, right? The reopening of Star Tours wasn't enough. Basically, Lucas was there for the celebration. And while he was there in that morning, Bob Iger, who was the, now the CEO of Disney, uh, invited Lucas to breakfast at the Hollywood Brown Derby restaurant, um, which is normally closed in the morning. So basically, it was just a private lunch between or breakfast between Lucas and Bob Iger. Um, and at that point, Bob Iger asked George Lucas, hey, would you consider selling Lucasfilm to Disney? So... On the day of the reopening of Star Tours, that was kind of when the seed was first planted in Lucas's mind of, hey, maybe I could sell this to Disney. There are so many pictures from Lucas that day, and he does kind of look in all the photos kind of shell-shocked. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did turn him down um, on the spot. He said, I'm not ready to pursue that now, but he said, when I am, I'd love to talk. So, yeah, it was probably mulling around in his head. He's trying to... Go ride the uh, the Caterpillar ride, and he just keeps thinking about selling Star Wars. I just want to go on Heimlich's choo-choo. i got to clear my head. <laughs> I'm just, if you need me, I'll be on Heimlich's choo-choo for the next two hours. It's my thinking worm. And I felt that I really wanted to put the company somewhere in a larger entity, which would protect it. 
Disney is a huge corporation. They have all kinds of capabilities and facilities. So that there's a lot of uh, strength that is gained by this. The great thing about Disney, again, as we were saying before, is that you know it's between the parks and all the things they've got going. It's great that we have a chance probably to expand that. And uh, you know, there's lots and lots of opportunities at Disney that we wouldn't have at any other studio. When I first made Star Wars, everybody in Hollywood said, well, this is a movie Disney should have made. Disney defines family entertainment, and in many ways, it's the best company possible to take Star Wars into the future. So 2015, like we were saying, they had Jakku, kind of like the old dream of um, George Lucas and Tony Baxter, kind of the constantly changing, always new Star Tours, and then... Just last year, they added the crate stuff for The Last Jedi. Then we learn in the, the Blu-ray stuff that just came out, in the, the commentary and on the, uh, the crate featurette on there, that the whole part in The Last Jedi, when the Millennium Falcon is going through the Crystal Cave on crate, was inspired by Ryan Johnson as a kid riding the original Star Tours, the part where it goes through a comet. This whole sequence is a little bit of a homage to um, the original, original, original Star Tours ride when they go through the comet. Uh, I always love that. The notion of doing this kind of hair-raising falcon chase through these crystal caverns. and originally, this was a little more elaborate. There was originally a whole sequence where there was a massive, like, crystal monster that almost ate them. And another one of those things where you just kind of have to pare it but down to basics. Star Tours went from inspiring Ryan Johnson to then Ryan Johnson's film inspiring Star Tours. It's like the ring theory for real. It, it makes perfect sense when you see it, too. Like, once I heard that and go back and watch the original Star Tours, it's like it's, it's exactly the great thing so yeah and star tours was just it was the beginning it was um after that the indiana jones ride opened up in california and the indiana jones stunt spectacular opened up in disney world and now they're building a whole gigantic theme park dedicated to nothing but star wars and and we might get hotels with video screens instead of windows so i can look at outer space while i sleep or try to sleep I, I hope with that Star Wars hotel, like the people serving room service are like a Reese or something. Or the, the butler droids from Cantobite. <laughs> they got all those costumes somewhere. I'd just be laying in bed with the covers up by my chin. <laughs> yeah. like, Jason, we spent so much money on coming here. This is like your dream. I'm too scared. It's too real. I'm not ready. Well, and may, and maybe one of the uh, event, uh, attractions will be called Star Ride, and that will all will come back. Well, you know, if like the if Bat Batu is all in universe, maybe it's like an amusement park ride as you would get in Star Wars World called Star Ride, where you go to Earth. Maybe they'll just buy the ET ride from uh, Universal and just stick that in Star Wars Land. I mean, E.T., you know, go back to our Is E.T. a Jedi episode. The E.T. ride in Universal is a Star Wars ride. Guaranteed, 100% fact. (laughs) Didn't you ask E.T. if he was a Jedi? What happened? Yeah, he winked at me. (laughs) 
Case closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I only wonder where Star Wars could go in the future. I mean, we haven't heard if there's going to be a solo update. Probably not. It just seems like they're doing it for the episode films. But at least in just the little teaser trailer we got of the Kessel Run, the Falcon flying through giant tentacles, that is Star Tours material right there. And, you know, actually would be pretty cool if they did a Rebels one at some point, flying around with the ghost and Hera on the screen or Chopper. So, yeah, there's a lot they could do. Rogue One, Battle of Scarif. Sagrera on the screen. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Two Tubes takes 3PO's place. Two Tubes, when you get back, give me some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. You could do the whole space thing. You could go through the shield. You could fly over the beach on Scarif. It would be awesome. Fly over Krennic and make him spill his coffee. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's neat to see with, uh, I forgot what it's called, but the, the virtual reality ride they have now. Oh yeah. Secrets of the empire. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of that's bringing the star tours idea to the next level. The inspiration of star tours lives on in new kind of cutting edge star Wars attractions. So we sent a shout out to listeners out there to share some of their Star Tours memories. And we got a couple in, right? Yeah, we got one here from uh, Dave Scheidt. He says, first time I rode Star Wars was last year. Someone left a half-eaten cheeseburger in between one of the armrests. What a wild ride that person must have had. (laughs) And he follows it up with, why do you think this person didn't finish their burger? Well, I had every intention of finishing it. (laughs) I was very hungry when we went on. But um, we did the planet core part. I saw the, the big fish stick its sticky tongue to the lens of the ship and... I didn't need that burger anymore. I was nourished. My stomach felt full. That's a good point. You don't need, you can save money if you just ride Star Tours all day because your body doesn't need food anymore. You can just live off the, off the energy. (laughs) So what else did we get? Uh, We got another one from Claire. She says, Hey, Jason and Gabe, I saw you were looking for Star Tours memories and I had to throw mine out there. When I went down to Star Wars Celebration in Orlando this past April, it marked my first time being back at any Disney park in 15 years. When I was just in the fourth grade, well, just like me, fourth something about fourth grade in Disney trips. I'd never been on Star Tours, but of course my boyfriend had many times. It was one of the few things I was determined to do, and I was anxiously anticipating it for weeks beforehand. I was praying every night to the Mortis gods that I would be the rebel spy. We had decided to schedule fast passes for Star Tours, of course. We arrived at the park early, enough to wait in the hour-and-a-half-long queue line and still finish the first ride in time for our fast past time. So we waited and waited, and when the time finally arrived, I strapped myself in my seat and was bouncing and twitching with excitement, but the ride wouldn't start up. They took us off the ride, gave us each complimentary family fast passes for any ride in Hollywood Studios while we waited for the technical malfunction to be fixed. 
Some other apologetic cast member did not realize we had already been pacified with family passes and handed everyone yet another one. Thankfully, we were surrounded by fellow scoundrels and nobody chimed in to correct them. They got us onto a different simulator and it was awesome and delightful and I was overjoyed. I couldn't stop smiling. Our timing was perfect and we hit our originally scheduled fast pass time slot without any issues. That time, someone on the previous ride had thrown up and no one noticed until we were loading. So they gave each of us another family fast pass each. All in all, Tyler and I were able to ride Star Tour six times back-to-back with minimal waiting. And even though I was never the rebel spy, we were able to do a good deed and gave our remaining two fast passes to a random family, wearing Star Wars shirts, of course, who looked like they might want them. I cannot wait to go back to Disney and ride it again. Anyway, thank you for always celebrating strange and beautiful creatures, which are hands down my favorite part of Star Wars. Love the podcast, keep up the great work, and may the Force be with you. Thank you, Claire, and sorry about the mess when... I threw up a little bit of that cheeseburger there yeah. in April of last year. Uh, at least it worked out. Those are the, that's like, you have nightmares of that, of like, I'm going to go and we get Star Tours and it's going to break. Like, I'm still terrified. I don't know if I ever told the story when Attack of the Clones came out. There were so few theaters showing it digital that I heard someone come out of the theater. They went to see it. And right when Mace Windu shows up and turns on his lightsaber and says the party's over, the projector broke. And it was the only digital projector in the theater. And these people had like driven from Kansas or something ridiculous. The projector at that point was just, it exploded. It's just like the movie, this, this movie is about to become unhinged <laughs> and I can't take it. It was just too much for that poor projector. <laughs> <laughs> but now anytime I see a new Star Wars movie, I'm terrified that it's going to be the party's over and it's going to break and I'm not going to be able to see the rest of it. So, I feel your Star Tours pain. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Dave, for your Star Tours stories. Disney has always given me a great, great deal of inspiration. A lot of what I do came out of the joy, the awe, the experience I had uh, in the movies, on television, and in the parks. And uh, that's what I was trying to pass on with my work, was to inspire and uh, make people have funny thoughts uh, and think that they can do anything. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you uh, how much of an influence Disney has been on me. I'm very happy uh, that after all these years of you know pushing to get more and more Star Wars and Indiana Jones into the parks, the only way I could think of to do it was to get Bob to buy the company. <laughs> a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Strictly big screen stuff. From director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. And these 
Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Say it every week. iTunes reviews. We got, I think, one in last week that we'll be getting to very, very soon. But it shouldn't stop you from after you're done listening to this episode. If you're listening through iTunes, jump on there, write something. We'll read it coming up. We love reading those. We love getting them. And after that, check out BlastPointsPodcast.com for t-shirts, recipes, comics, things and stuff theme song and check us out on facebook instagram twitter and wherever you get your podcast keep downloading it and subscribe and let us know what you think keep sharing it out with your friends tell some peeps gotta listen to blast points share it on the social media of your choice we always appreciate it it's how these podcast things how they grow word of mouth and you definitely want to subscribe because you don't want to miss next week's episode because we're going to be diving head first into this last jedi home video blu-ray thing we're going to be talking about the deleted scenes yep we're going to be diving into the dark side hole cave into the water straight to the dark clapping our fingers looking in a mirror the director in the jedi documentary andy circus snoke stuff the commentary there's a lot to talk about and so much to go over so you don't want to miss that so look for that next week it's gonna be a good one but as for episode 115 that about wraps it up talk to you soon yep thank you everybody bye-bye may the force be with you goodbye old friend May the force be with you. inspiration for Jar Jar Binks. Uh, I know you'll look at him differently now, because it's pretty obvious, actually, but uh, uh, I love Goofy, and uh, uh, I love Jar Jar Binks, and uh, uh, I just try to remember back what it was like when I was young, and uh, what, what I got from Disney. May the force be with all of you.